this morning as we look at uh, this text, um, Jesus deals with the future. And uh, it's a very common thing for us to think about the future. And there's probably been times in your life you've, you've wondered, okay, when I grow up, who am I going to marry? Uh, what am I going to do when I grow up? Some of us may still be asking that question. I don't know. Uh, but what am I going to do when I grow up? You know, what am I going to be? Some of us wondering that. Maybe there was a time in our life we were wondering, what, what college am I going to go to? Am I going to go to college? What am I uh, going to do um, with my education? Uh, maybe some of us have wondered how many children we're going to have when we get married one day. And um, maybe we've wondered how much money I'm going to make. When am I going to retire? And maybe we're even asking those questions today. Maybe some of us have even worried and wondered about the future. Will I get sick? Will there be some tragedy I go through or something like that? We think about the future. Um, And in our study of Luke, Jesus turns the topic of his teachings to the future. In fact, he predicts events that will come. In fact, um, in his time period when he's here on earth, he is going to mention something that will come uh, probably some 30, 35 years after he mentions it here in today's text. And as he mentions these events that we'll look in just a second, his goal is to encourage his followers, to encourage the hearers of his word to faithfully depend and rely on him as these troubles come upon the earth and that they through them would endure as they hold to him, cling to him, depend on him. And ultimately, today's text foreshadows uh, eventually his coming and his return. And it bids the question, will we be ready for that day? Now, before we kind of get into it and kind of get steamrolling through this text this morning, um, I I want us to to pick up the context of what Jesus is doing. What's the setting here? And so if you look... At chapter 21, verse 37 and 38, these are the last two verses that Jake read for us this morning. It says, during the day, Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at evening time, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. And so this is probably somewhere between Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, Thursday of of Holy Week. Um, that we pick up uh, what would be referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And Luke says here that Jesus is getting up early in the morning to go to the temple to teach. At night, he is resting and retiring to the Mount of Olivet, uh, most likely with his disciples present there. And so this is um, the setting of what Jesus is is doing. And so we've seen in the, the weeks leading up to this that Jesus has silenced the religious leaders with his great wisdom He's condemned the leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, and the people for what? For rejecting him as the Messiah. So he continues on what is probably, again, sometime during Holy Week, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, to teach in the temple and then rest at the uh, mountain of Olivet at night. Now, as we look at this text, Jake read for us, there's, there's really two main thoughts and, and themes going on. And the first one deals with the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple, right? The second one uh, deals with the coming of Jesus. I I believe that's in view here as well, and we'll see how. Uh, But mainly the first one, 
that the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple uh, during the first century. The disciples, as they hear these events talked about with Jesus, as they were discussed uh, back then, they see these two events, the destruction of Jerusalem, um, the return of the Messiah or the kingdom of God being set up here on earth. They see those two things as one. Right? D.A. Carson calls it a, a single complex web of events that they saw happening together. Um, and so I believe as we look at this text, there are two progressive mountain peaks, you could call them, in the text. One being the destruction of Jerusalem and one of, of something greater that is to come, the return of Jesus. I believe the first foreshadows the second. We'll see how in just a second. But we definitely see here that they're not uh, these two events that happen at the same time and that immediately after the destruction of, of Jerusalem that uh, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom or the Messiah is going to set up his kingdom. Obviously, that doesn't take place because we stand on this side of history and see that it hasn't. So they have that view. They have that belief, that thinking in mind. And so as we think about this text today with those two realities, the destruction of Jerusalem, we know it's a reality that happened as we look back in history, but also of what is to come, the coming of Jesus. What does Jesus want us to learn today? What, what does he want us to walk away with today? And there's going to be a few nuggets along the way. Um, and ultimately, what he wants us to do is faithfully endure. He wants us to faithfully endure um, as we depend on him, trust in him, that we would continue to walk with him, that we would not drift away from living according to his will and his way, that we wouldn't be indifferent to the way and um, the leading of the kingdom of God in our life, but instead that we would continue to be faithful to the end. And so with that in mind, let's look at the text. Look at the first two that we're going to look at this morning, verses 5 through 6. Um, it says, while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones, votive gifts, he said, as for these things which are look, you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. And so what comes in focus here is the temple. And what's very interesting, as Isabel talked about it last week, is you have this widow who, who doesn't have much, but, but gives everything she has. And then immediately you have in verse 5, these people that are looking about the beauty of the temple and, and, and everything it looks like on the outside. And, and I love how Jesus just quickly takes the opportunity as they're so consumed with the externals here. And Jesus says, hey, let me tell you about these beautiful things you see. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. And so he kind of turns the mood, I imagine, <clears throat> as these guys are sightseeing and looking at things. And he's going to talk about the future, of what's going to happen to the temple. And he says in verse 7, they question him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? I love what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't immediately get to the events. Okay? He doesn't immediately answer their questions about the time and events of when the temple is going to be destroyed here in Jerusalem. But immediately, what does he do? He talks about their life. He talks about their faith. Look at verse 8. He said, see to it that you are not 
misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will say, the time is near. Jesus says, do not go after them. And so before he gets to the events, before he gets to things that are going to happen, he says, I want you to be on guard. Because there's going to be times, there's going to be troubles that are around the corner. And the first thing that I want you to be aware of is do not be misled. Because there are going to be people, they are going to be teaching in the streets. And people that are going to come and say that they are the Messiah. They're going to say that the end is near. Come and follow me. Now what's interesting, back in Jesus' day, that was a very real present reality. There were other people, even when Jesus was around, claiming to be the Messiah. That was a big hot topic. In fact, one uh, by the name of Judah of Galilee will rise during this time and claim to be the Messiah. Um, And so Jesus says, be aware. Be aware of spiritual deception. And he gives clear instructions here. Do not go after them. Do not follow them. Isn't it interesting that during troubles and tragedies, times of destruction, when we go through times even of pain in our own life, what do we look for? We look for help. And, And sometimes... Will grasp at anything. People will turn to anything they can. And so we've got to be on guard. We've got to make sure that we persevere in our faith in the true Messiah, in Jesus Christ, and that we're guided by truth. And that's what Jesus is saying here is when this destruction comes, what's important above all, right? It's not so much the events, but it's your faith. What are you holding on to? What are you grasping to? Is it what is real? Is it what is true? Is it the Messiah? In 1 John 4, 1 through 6, the Apostle John will give us some guidance. I'm going to let you see the text up there. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to give you some, some thoughts, what, what John basically is telling us, that in the world, there are, going to be, there are many different spirits, all right? Many different spirits, even the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, when we think Antichrist, we think big A, Antichrist, um, in the sense of, of one figure or whatever. But, but what Jesus views as the Antichrist and the apostles view as the Antichrist was the spirit that was opposite of Jesus. It was anti-Jesus. It was against Jesus. And it's present in the world, right? It, it, it is present. And so Jesus, through the apostle John, gives us some warning here. It is that what are we trusting in and how can we know it is true? And so he says, first of all, if they deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ, okay, they're antichrist. That's who they are. It's the spirit of the antichrist. If they do not believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He also says, beware of their message. Listen closely to what they teach. Because if they do not confess Jesus as Lord, it's the spirit of the antichrist. The third thing that John says is this. Um, you have the Holy Spirit. Remember, he says, greater is he who is in you than who is in the world. You have the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, when these things happen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You have the Holy Spirit. And then the other thing that John says is that people of the world will be attracted okay, to what these others will say. Maybe by their eloquence. Maybe they have the cool factor going on. They have street cred, whatever it may be. All right? People will follow them. Be aware of that. Be aware of that. And ultimately, what you have to do, the last thing, is compare what they say with Scripture, with the apostles' writings, with what we have here in the Word of God. So don't be misled, all right? 
as the church, we've got to be aware of that too. We've we, we got to understand this isn't something that Jesus is just throwing out there and, and, you know, just for a selected group of people. He's saying this to the body to say, hey, listen, you must be on guard because we are prone just to grab onto anything that sounds good or, oh, that sounds kind of cool or whatever it may be. You've got to stay to the truth of the word of God, okay? And then look what happens. He gets to the events. Look at verse 9 through 11. He says, when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he says, um, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues, uh, famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And so what does he tell the disciples? What does he tell the people that are listening to him on this day? He's telling them this, expect tribulation. Don't be surprised by wars and rumors of wars or disturbances or troubles that you see. None of us are immune to it. We will walk through tribulation. In the first century, when Jesus is speaking here, you had in A.D. 36 the Parthian War. In A.D. 46, you had famine. You had great drought. You had earthquakes throughout Palestine. You had wars in A.D. 61 in Asia Minor. A.D. 62 in Pompeii, you had wars. You had a huge earthquake in Jerusalem in A.D. 67. The war that will bring the destruction of Jerusalem will begin in A.D. 66 and end in A.D. 70. And so the prophecy of Jesus that he is speaking of here is something that will happen. It will happen, and it will continue to happen. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, we even still see them very much today. And so Jesus says, in light of these terrifying events, do not be terrified. Do not be overcome. Do not be overwhelmed by fear. And he says, when these things happen, and specifically as he's talking to the his hearers on this day with the events that are going to happen in Jerusalem. He says, hey, this does not mean the end will come immediately. And so he addresses their view that they have in mind. Remember, they think when this happens, okay, there's going to be a ruler. There's going to be a Messiah. They, they were thinking Jesus was that. He's going to come in and set up an earthly kingdom right then and right there. He, he was going to kick some Roman tail, right? Jesus says, hey, this is not the end. Immediately. And so what is this? This is judgment, right? Why are the events of the temple in Jerusalem, why are they going to happen? Well, think back to what we've been looking at. How have the Jews and how have the religious leaders responded to Jesus? They have rejected him as the Messiah. And so what's about to happen is caused by Jesus, is caused by him as the Son of God, as the Son of Man. He is going to cause this. This is judgment upon a people who rejects him. Jesus will say in Matthew 24, verse 8, that these are the beginning of birth pains. In fact, Romans 8, 22, Paul echoed the same thing. He said, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Sin entered the earth. It not only affected humanity, it affected all of creation. And we see it in many different ways. And we're going to see it here with the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, Jerusalem itself. And so, 
as Christians, we're, we're not saved from trials, meaning we're, we're, Jesus doesn't protect us and say, hey, listen, I'm going to keep you from going through trials. This is going to be the cruise ship. You just put your feet up and you'll be fine. No. We, he saves us through trials. We, we go through them, right? In John 16, Jesus said this. He says, these things I've spoken to you that so that in me you have peace. Why do I need peace? Because in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says. He's the great overcomer, and he wants us to trust him. And so with these events that are coming up here in the first century and the events that we go through in our time, what he's saying is, hey, there are going to be times in life where it feels like and seems like that everything is out of control. And what Jesus is saying here, I want you to remember that I am in control. Trust me. Trust me. Have confidence in me. Trust in the power that, of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you to endure, to go through these times of tribulation, through these times where there's spiritual deception all around, that when these temptations come upon you, hey, that you can overcome as you trust in Christ. And so these troubles are going to come upon the earth. They're a reality. We will face pressures. We will face all types of troubles, just like in the first century, the Jews and then these disciples are going to walk through. But look what happens in verse 12. There's more to come. He's going to get specific on what's going to occur, and even to Christians. He says in verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. Okay? So center stage with this comment is the disciples, followers of Christ. He says they will lay their hands on you, and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues, prisons, bringing you before kings, governors, for my name's uh, sake. Hold on, let me pick it up in this lost place. Okay. It will lead, so I want you to think about this, this persecution that they're going to face, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So Jesus says right here, you're going to face the world's opposition. He's saying that to the disciples. So when you go through this time period and this great destruction comes and all these so-called messiahs come and say, come follow me, and everybody else is clinging to different things and screaming, yelling in the streets and all this kind of things because of all the tribulation, disciples know that when you trust in me and start declaring my name, they're going to throw you before courts. They're going to throw you into the synagogue. They're going to throw you before Gentile judges, and you name it, and you're... During that time, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated and persecuted. But don't look at it as a tough time. Look at it instead as what? An opportunity. An opportunity for what? He says here, an opportunity for your testimony. How do you and I look at tough times that we go through? Do, do we look at it that way as an opportunity I love verse 13 because I think what, what Jesus is saying here is every tribulation, every tough time we go through, even times of conflict, I mean, you name it, you can fill in the blank. When we go through these times, it's for an opportunity for your testimony. What's your testimony? A testimony is our story of how God has changed our life through Jesus Christ. It can be short, it can be long. Uh, this Saturday when we meet for the training, one of the things we're going to 
train on is um, a 15-second testimony. I'd be thinking, 15 seconds? I like that. Short, quick, get to the point, right? But seriously, though, just a 15-second testimony, it it helps you um, be able to communicate what, what Jesus has done in your life in a real simple way to other people. And, and Jesus says here, there are going to be opportunities. We all have opportunities to share our testimony, how Jesus Christ changed our life. And so he's telling these disciples right here, as you go through these tough times, as you go through this period, you're going to be placed before people. And you're going to have the opportunity to tell people how Jesus has changed your life. And as you look at the book of Acts, right, we see it, don't we? We see it in prisons, uh, before kings, governors. They get to communicate how Jesus has changed their life and get to witness about Christ and who he is. And then look at verse 14. We may be worried, though. What? What? That, that seems big. That seems hard. That seems tough. But look at what Jesus says. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. Okay? So, so, so don't make up in your mind how you're going to stand and have this great defense, you know. Um, but instead, I love what he says here. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. What he's saying here is, hey, just trust in me. Just lean on me. I will give you words. I will give you what to say as you trust and rely on me, the Holy Spirit's ministry is powerful, and he will work through you. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. And so isn't it amazing to think about these disciples? They saw the example. They saw Jesus model this. And now he's saying, all right, <laughs> I'm just going to let you out. And you're going to go in the midst of all this fire and trouble and tribulation, and you're going to be used in the midst of it. And man, are they? Are they not? In an amazing way, as we see, lived out in the book of Acts. Now, look what happens next in verse 16. But you will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. And so, disciples, as you go out and do this, know that there is risk. There is great risk. And you may even be hated by friends and parents, even parents. Family members. And some of you may even physically kill you because of, Jesus says, my name, my name. Wow. So as we go out, we witness, we testify of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, there is great risk, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's interesting in verse 16, 17, he mentions these temporal things that could happen or may happen to these disciples, and for many of them, it will definitely happen. But look at verse 18. He gives them a promise here. He says, yet not a hair of your head will perish. He says, hey, but your, your eternal home, your eternal life is secure. You, you will have that forever. So whatever happens to you physically, he says, hey, that's temporal. You have eternal life. And then he says in verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. And so he defines endurance here. What's endurance? Endurance 
going through these trials and tribulations, testifying of Jesus Christ, trusting in him, not temporal things, and risking it all as we honor him. That's what endurance looks like. Yesterday, I was at as a track meet. My wife and kids and I, we were watching Noah run and got to see other runners. Um, I know others ran like Jake and Wes and some others. I know Isabella's a runner too. And um, you guys that run long distance freak me out, dude. It's just amazing. Um, and how fast runners run today. It's just amazing. But one of the things that, that I loved yesterday was it, it didn't matter where these runners ended up, whether they were in first or they were the last or the middle. It was just so cool to see people yelling and cheering them on the whole way. And I just kind of, even in front of me, saw some people just cheering for this one in the middle. It was just, just go, 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 you know, just, and it wasn't necessarily, I mean, no, no finishing first and all that. It's kinda, you know, that's amazing, but, but just to finish, right? There's something about finishing strong and just finishing well. And, and that's what Jesus longs for us, is that, hey, through this life filled of trials and tribulations, that we would finish. And what does finishing look like? It means that through this life we testify of him, not leaning on the temporal, but trusting in him, knowing that we have a forever home with him. And we live faithfully till the end. And then look what happens when we kind of get close to the end. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. And so you see this idea of judgment falling upon the city. Then in verse 23, woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for their... Um, will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so what do we see right here? We, we see Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen. And if you look back in history, if you read the history books, guys like Josephus and stuff like this, this was a bloodbath. You saw millions of people die. Millions of people enslaved, slaughtered, deceased, famine. This is a horrific time for the Jews as Jerusalem is destroyed, uh, the temple is destroyed. And why? Ultimately because they failed to turn to Jesus as the Messiah, as king. And so we see on this side of history, this happened. This is a reality. This prophecy of Jesus came true. It comes true. And so look at verse 25. There will be signs in sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, it's a very interesting couple of verses. Different interpretations on this, right? Some believe that what you have right here uh, is the speaking of Jesus' return. Um, maybe a period of, of specific tribulation, a period where Jesus will return for a millennial reign for a thousand years, and then uh, eventually after that, ultimately, he will return then. Um, and so there's, there's views around that, all different types of views. Now, 
contextually, if I can just stay to the text with you for a second, um, personally, I, I don't believe verse 25 takes a big leap to that. And, and let me just tell you how I interpret this is I, th- I believe Jesus is still talking about Jerusalem um, and its destruction. You might be saying, well, well why? Um, well, one, well, that seems a big left turn, right, if, if he's not. But, but second, if you look at the Old Testament, what, it, what does the Old Testament do? It uses imagery of, of cosmic disturbances to talk about times of judgment. In fact, if you look at Isaiah 13, you find similar language that Jesus uses here to speak of God's judgment upon Babylon, right, and referring to the political structure of the Near East. And so you hear this type of language. In Ezekiel 32 as well, uh, Ezekiel does the same thing to talk about the destruction of Egypt. Isaiah 34 to talk about the destruction of Edom. And so this figurative expressions are used to speak of destruction. So I I believe Jesus here is still talking about Jerusalem being destroyed um, and judgment that's going to fall upon Jerusalem, right? Now, is it wrong, right, to to think that it's talking about Jesus' return? Um, I don't think so, because I think there's a lot of foreshadow in this text as well. But look at verse 27, because I think this is the key verse, right? He says here, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And so so that's why many think this is immediately talking about Jesus' return. But is that really what Jesus is quoting? Quoting, uh, the quotation here is Daniel 7, okay? And so I want to read Daniel 7 to you. We read it earlier in our worship uh, time through song. But Daniel 7, 13 through 14, which Jesus quotes here, says this, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Okay? And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So Daniel is having this vision. And he sees this one like a son of man that's coming up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So the key word there, he was coming up. right? Um, and then it says, To him was given dominion, glory, kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so Daniel is referring to, it seems here, of that time period where Jesus will ascend into heaven, where he then will sit at the right hand of God in all authority and reign. And so Daniel is seeing this vision, and Jesus speaks of that here, okay? So what was Daniel speaking of in Daniel 7? He was talking about the authority of the Messiah who would come to reign. And that his dominion is forever. It will never be destroyed. And so it seems right here what Jesus is saying is, I I want you guys to know that, that the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is a sign of my authority. Because Jesus, in just a few Days, hours away, he is going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to suffer for the redemption of, of mankind, that those who would turn to him and trust in him as Savior, they would be redeemed. I thought this thing was about to fall. Was it about to fall? Was it just me? Okay. All right. I'm seeing things. All right. So that was weird. I think I stepped on it. It moved, and I'm getting old. All right. So. That was great. Okay. 
I think I heard that. <laughs> so, so I think Daniel sees, that was weird, dude. I stepped on this thing. I thought it was flying in my head. Wow. Okay. So he sees this ascension happening. So the ascension of Christ, right, is the mark of his authority, that he is justified as the king of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying here is when this destruction of the temple in Jerusalem happens, that's a sign to you that I am the king, that I am the Messiah. And so when you go through this tribulation, when you see these things happen in Jerusalem, Jewish people, Jewish religious leaders, those who rejected my kingship and my authority, know that when this judgment falls, that I am king. And I think that's what Jesus is communicating here. And then he says in verse 28, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your head, because your redemption is drawing near. A great encouraging word specifically to his disciples. Hey, don't, don't fall in embarrassment. Don't, don't shrink back. But hey, in confidence, continue to trust in me. Because guess what? Your redemption, right, is drawing near. Your deliverance is drawing near. The deliverance that Jesus Christ paid for with his life. He's saying, hey, listen. That's coming for you, whether it's in your death, whether it's in the day that he returns, your redemption is drawing near. It's coming. But stand firm. And then look at verse 29. He told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it. You know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is Near, So he tells the people, hey, just like when summer comes, leaves are going to come on the tree. We're seeing some of that even begin now here. The seasons are changing. Hey, know that, that when these things happen, these signs, the temple being destroyed, Jerusalem being destroyed, know that the kingdom of God is near. He says, is it the end yet? No, not yet. Remember he said that. But know that it's near. But I think that comment means by Jesus is, is a few things. I think it's a loaded statement. I think first and foremost, what he's saying is that I want you to know that when these things happen, that I am king of the kingdom. Remember, when Jesus was on earth, he said that the kingdom of God is at hand. He was present. And I also think it is referring to his kingdom that will eventually come here on earth. It's coming soon. That's the last words Jesus shares with the church in Revelation. It is coming soon. So this, I believe, this is why this destruction of Jerusalem foreshadows his coming because he wants us to, to know and to think about the day that he will return as well. And just as these should be ready for the destruction that's coming, that we should be ready for his return as well. And so look at verse 32. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He was telling his listeners that day, hey, listen, you guys are going to go through this stuff. You're going to go through it. And then he says in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The temple in Jerusalem, the things of this world, even the best and most incredible things that have ever happened on this planet and in this time as we know it, it will all pass away. But the truth of Jesus' words will not. They are permanent. They are permanent. 
And lastly, look at verse 34, and I think this is the big, so what, right? So, so what do I take from this? Well, here's what Jesus says. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness, the worries of life. And that, de- that day, excuse me, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things and are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I, I want you, in light of all that's going around, threats, tribulation, troubles, you name it. Yes, in the first century, but yes, church, today in 2019, I want you to watch your life, to watch your living, to guard your hearts, that they're not weighted down with dissipation. What's dissipation? He mentions here dissipation with drunkenness. A lot of times those two words are used together. Paul did that, Ephesians, but Obviously, the idea is, hey, don't, don't drift away into drunkenness and, and you know, a, a life of worldliness is obviously mine, of immorality. But the idea of dissipation is that you would not waste your life. Those who have a testimony that Jesus Christ has changed your life, do not waste your life on the worries of this world, on that which is temporal. Because there is a day that's coming, Right? For them in the first century, it's destruction of Jerusalem. Be aware of that. For us, there is a day that's coming when Jesus will return. And I think the big question is, are we ready? Are we ready? He says, until that day, we've got to keep on alert at all times. We must be ready. How do we do that? How do we stay spiritually alert? How do we stay spiritually on track with God's will and his way. He says right here, by praying that you may be strengthened to escape all these things that are about to take place. So how do we stay strong in the Lord? How do we stay alert spiritually? He says right here, pray, pray, pray. And he says, so that we can stand before the Son of Man. And so, Jesus has the end in mind, that when he returns, and the question is, are we ready? He wants us, as verse 19 says, to endure, to endure. Until he returns, let us endure. We all have an opportunity, every single one of us have opportunities to share our testimony. That's part of enduring. All of us will be tempted to be misled and drift away to believe falsehoods. He wants us to stay true to the word. How do we do that? How do we stay strong? How do we endure to that day we stand before him? We pray. We stay faithful. We stay close to Christ. It's all about that relationship with him. And so church, until that day, may he find us faithful. May we run the race, as Hebrew 12 tells us, with endurance, with our eyes fixed on him. And just as Christ endured through the cross, may we joyfully as well endure with faith this race he has for us. Let me pray.